Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into Luke chapter number 14. We're going to start off in verse number 7. We're going to work through a couple of different teachings that Jesus has here as concerning the parables of the great banquet, the also of the wedding feast, and moving forward uh, into this chapter is going to be pretty sweet that we discover the cost of discipleship. So we're going to get into a lot of different things. Uh, here today, but first off, we're going to start just with the wedding feast in verse number 7. Before we begin, though, let us ask God for His blessing upon our time together in the Word and prayer. Father, we are thankful for everything that You have done for us in this day. Lord, as we acknowledge this day being Friday, we give You praise that we have an opportunity this evening to be able to gather together at 6.30 and worship and rejoice and really dig into these truths that we're about to receive here at the 4 o'clock hour. As Father, we only have a very limited time together in this 4 o'clock time. Lord, those who are wanting to know more about this can certainly connect with us this evening and, and really get a richness to the depth of what is being said here. But Father, in our time online, we pray that you will bless us as we study the Word of God, that you will rejoice in spirit, Father, as as the Holy Spirit you've sealed us with is able to commune with the Word of God and be in the presence of, of you, Father, while the three become one. And we'll give you thanks and praise for all that you do in us, with us, and through us this time in Jesus' name. Amen. What a thrill it is to be able to begin. Verse number 7, the scripture says, And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them. Now, very important to note that verse number 7 is in reference to the, the household that you'll find in verse 1. Uh, verse 1, it says, It came to pass, as we read yesterday, he went into the house of one of the chief rooms. Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, and everybody watched him. Now, as you can imagine what Jesus did, he didn't come into the house taking position right by the master of the house. He didn't take position at the table where the chief priest and all of those guys would be sitting, as that Jesus would be operating from what he would be teaching, and he would come in of a lowly estate, and if it so be that the chief priest elevate him to the table where he's sitting, then indeed Jesus would be elevated. But if Jesus were to come into the house and sit near the chief priest only to have taken someone else's seat that carried a prominence that was believed above Jesus, then he would be demoted from that position, not elevated. And so we find that from verse number one, verse number seven, he puts forth a parable to those which were bidden. So these are the folks that were of the synagogue that would be over at that chief, uh, that chief, Pharisees' house that were with Jesus all eating together. So this is who the parable is for, and of course, with the chief Pharisee and being of his house, it isn't going to be the commoner. It isn't going to be uh, any of the people that would be like that woman that was healed in the very back of the room. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be the other Pharisees. It's going to be the scribes. It's going to be the lawyers. It's going to be these people that carry a prominence within that community of the synagogue uh, and possibly some merchant types and possibly some other people that are carrying uh, a significance to them in the community so that the 
religious crew can maintain their status among the citizens of the community. But that's, that's who's gathered together with Jesus at this chief Pharisee's house. And so these parables are written to them uh, specifically because even though Jesus may have his apostles with him, rarely do you find Jesus traveling without his entourage, kind of like the same situation that would have been with Nicodemus when he met Jesus by night or any of the other Pharisees of note that, that would often have a, a team, often have an entourage, Jesus, you rarely find him separated from, from Peter, James, and John in specific, but also the twelve at large. Now, the other disciples, being among the, the, the crew that aren't the twelve, Though they do exist and Jesus does regularly work with them, they're not the ones that are constantly going wherever Jesus is invited. It's only these twelve. And so from from verse number seven, it says, He put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked, in other words, when Jesus observed the room as he came in and he saw people picking their positions inside of this chief Pharisee's house, not as though they were bidden, but as though they believed themselves to be significant enough to be able to take the seats. And so the scripture says, uh, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, he said to them, now, uh, Jesus, again, guys, remember my statement that gentle, loving Jesus that would never offend anyone, that would never chastise or judge anyone that gentle Jesus <laughs> these these parables are for the the people that he's judged for the people that he's censuring for the people that he's chastising says when they when you are bidden of any man to a wedding when you are bidden now, he's talking to the room, but keep in mind, Jesus is always looking for an example to be able to share with his, with his apostles how not to be like the Pharisee, how not to be like the Sadducee or the scribe or, say, these lawyers. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, and often he's using negative examples of people's lives in order to better help his disciples see what's negative about it, and how not to be that way. And so Jesus is, is as much teaching his own disciples, his own apostles, as he is working with those that are gathered together in this room. And so he said, when you are bidden of any man to a wedding, do not sit in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. Uh, the hymn that's referred to at the end of verse 8 is the guy that, that is having the wedding. So as you recall, at the wedding feast at Canaan, which was often purported to be the first miracle that Jesus had, had ever performed, as he had just begun his ministry, if you recall that the mother had come to Jesus saying, we're almost out of wine, we need you to, to do a miracle. And Jesus said, woman, what in the world do I have to do for you? He said, I've got to be about my father's business. Nevertheless, he honored his mother's request, and he turned the water into wine. But keep in mind that the master of the home is the master of the wedding feast that would have been held for his son. And so when you're bidding, when you're bidden unto a wedding, there is going to be a leader of the wedding, a master of that wedding ceremony. And understand that 
even though you are a person chosen, maybe because you're a friend of the of the bridegroom, or maybe because you're a relative, a cousin, an aunt, a, a grandparent, what have you, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because you were bidden that you were highly favored above all the rest that are coming. It's very possible that there are those that be bidden that have a higher status or have a closer relationship to the groom than what you have. And so for you to come walking in and just assume the chief seats and assume that you're the most important person in the room, uh, it really is kind of foolish, is it not? And Jesus is pointing this out because Jesus is making known Okay, the woman that, that I healed back at the synagogue when you fussed at her, the, the, the person with the withered hand, the person we're about to discover in 14 that has, or, or that person that just Jesus just finished working on that had the dropsy. All of these people were considered less important, but when you, when you look at the wedding banquet of heaven, it's the least that is the greatest. It, it is the last that comes first, which we discovered already. So it's, it's very important to realize that what you presume to be of your level of importance is not necessarily the reality that is before Jesus. In fact, the, the Word of God would go on to tell us that those of us who carry the greatest positions among the rest are to be servant of all. So if you're president of the United States, your sole purpose in life is to serve the people of the United States. Be nice if they remembered that. And, and if you were a part of the Congress or a part of the Senate, because of the position that you've been elevated to, your purpose is to represent the bulk of your people, to, to represent the values of, of your, your people. Of course, that's not saying much in the United States today because of how corrupt things have gotten among the people, which is why our, our government's so screwed up on both sides of the aisle. But they're supposed to be servants of the people, not their masters. And that is a problem that we have because the government we have currently believes itself to, to uh, be able to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, how you should be, how you shouldn't be, what you can say, what you can't say, even in violation of, of the very constitution that would, be, would have been written to protect the people from the government, but it's it's all changed, has it not? And and that is exactly the issue that Jesus is bringing out. These Pharisees that he's sitting with believe themselves to be uh, separated from the people, but where did they come from? But the people, and they believe themselves to be so much higher in 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 class or position than the people, but they are the people, and and they find themselves to be masters over those who would purportedly belong to God. But if they're the masters over the people, then who is God? Is he not the one that assumes authority and control over all of his creation? Then who are these Pharisees? Who are these lawyers or scribes? that they would put themselves, or, or should I say superimpose themselves, into the position of God to rule over a people with their own dictum 
instead of relying upon God and his wisdom and in his power to make the decisions that they would then serve the people by sharing. And so as you consider like me as a pastor, I'm not a lord over the church. That's Jesus. I'm I'm not an authoritarian or authoritarian figure as concerning what you can do, what you can't do, what you can say, what you can't say, how you should live or how you're going to live and how you're not going to live. All of those decisions have to be personal and private decisions that are made between the the believer and God. The, the authority that I carry as a pastor is of the Word of God to proclaim Jesus' teachings to, with authority, uh, uh, certainly chastise decisions that are being made so that people can realize that they're, they're going against the will of God, but then to leave it to God to make those changes in people's lives. So it's very important to understand where your place is before God, where your place is before Jesus. Look, if you're a business owner, your your job, your as a business owner even, you may see yourself so much higher than the employees that you have, but understand that those employees are what keep you in business. And so to serve those employees will generate an atmosphere by which those employees will then in turn serve you. And and that is so vital because Jesus is making this known and he's using a wedding banquet to prove the point. If you believe yourself to be someone of importance, then recognize your position of importance as a means to be able to serve others and elevate them so that they can discover their importance. And so he says, he says in verse 8, when you're bidding any man to a wedding, don't sit in the highest rooms lest someone even more honorable than you shows up who was bidden of the master of the wedding and you're kicked out of your seat. (laughs) What an embarrassment it would be to be sitting in the highest room and then for the master of the wedding feast to say, "Um, sir, you need to leave. This position is reserved for this gentleman. An embarrassment indeed would come over you because you believed yourself to be somebody and made yourself out to the room to be somebody that you are now proven by the master not to be. And so he says... And lest a more honorable man than you are bidden of the master. And he that called you and him, in other words, the master of the feast that called you to come to the wedding and this more honorable person, come and say to you, give this man place. Imagine that. Hey, you're in the wrong seat, bud. This is reserved for one more honorable than you. And then it says in verse number nine, and you begin with shame to take the lowest room. Why? Because all the other positions are now filled. You don't have a choice but to be in the lowest room. Whereas if you would have chosen of the, of the medium rooms per se, instead of the highest rooms, and and the groom or the, the master of the wedding feast would, would come to find you and then say, oh no, please come into this room and be elevated with, with me. Uh, then you would go from a medium status up to the highest status. But because you chose, not necessarily chose, because it was even easier than that, because you believed yourself to be every bit as equal as those around you, 
to elevate yourself to the highest position, only to be knocked back by the master of the feast. Um, now you don't have even the medium areas that are all filled up with the other guests. Now you just simply have to be at the lowest area where the servants are. And, and so you'll find in verse number 10, he says, but when you're bidden, when you're bidden, listen, pay attention, go sit down in the lowest room. You know, when you're, when you're bidden to this thing, instead of even thinking yourself to be within the medium level, like you're somebody above the servants, instead of thinking that you're at the medium level, just go ahead and be a servant. Just go sit in the lowest rooms. You see, and, and that when he that called you to the wedding feast comes, that he may see you and say to you, go up higher. You see, then you shall have worship in the presence of them that sit in at the dinner table with you because everyone will see him speaking to you and elevating you from that position of being lowly in the lowest area to even a place of medium status. Maybe not the highest room, but maybe if, if being, being brought from the lowest room up to a medium level, that everyone in the medium realm will see you and rejoice in you because at one time they looked at you and said, wow, that's such a sorry bunch. And then you get up because the master said, what are you doing down here? You belong. And then all of a sudden you got a whole batch of friends you never knew you had. Now, that will say something about the caste-based system of Jesus' day and the embarrassment of the idea that these people sitting in the medium realm would be looking at the people at the lowest realm and saying, ah, oh, that's a bunch of rabble. Not realizing that the people in the highest rooms above the people in the middle would be looking at the middle and saying, ah, oh, that's a bunch of rabble. So everybody would see themselves as higher than everybody else. What a vanity is that? But Jesus bringing out that if I find myself in a proper position of, of, of humility, as recognizing that no matter what my wealth or status is, that I'm a child of God, and that my wealth and my status is solely to be used for the purpose of benefiting God's kingdom, God's house, and God's glory, that I would find myself as equal to being the lowly of a state, even though I might be the wealthiest person at the wedding. is because all that I have, everything that I am, all of my character and being is belonging to God and is of His possession to do with as He would, would choose. And so I find myself as being a servant of all because of the very fact that God has blessed me with more. So I have more to serve with. So I become the servant of all. Boy, it'd be nice if we had that mentality in the United States, wouldn't it? So that those that are the wealthiest among us would be of service to those that are poorest among us and that everyone would be elevated at that point. But of course, those that are wealthy enjoy uh, keeping those that are poor in poverty because the harder the people that are poor work, the more wealth they build for the rich. And of course, the, the, the rich don't want to release one penny of their wealth because they, they find themselves to be of a status higher than the lowly. And so there's not such a thing as help that will exist among the wicked of this world. 
Imagine that. Say that. You sound a lot like you want to redistribute the wealth, boy. No, I I really don't. But I would expect that if a person understood that their wealth was amassed of them as a gift of God, and they recognized that there be children of God that are in a position of struggling, that they would consider that God's blessings be be imparted to those that have need so that those of abundance can rejoice in the fact that they were able to give to those that had need and those that had need would be able to rejoice in the fact that they had received from their brethren's abundance and everybody be glorifying God and not the government. But because we're a bunch of stingy human beings that don't want to relinquish one penny, we expect the government to give to the poor and and establish programs for the poor instead of the church because the church has a multitude of wealthy that don't want to let go of any wealth to be a blessing that God had created them to be with the gifts God has given them. And so we have literally surrendered people's faith from God unto the government. And that's what you're facing in our modern society even among a people that would claim to be Christian, expecting the government to do everything that they would be called upon by God to accomplish. (laughs) Sad. It's just sad, I'm just saying. But if you think about it, and you consider the scripture, and you look at society, you'll discover that I'm right, regardless of how much you want me to be wrong. And so he, he comes down, he says, when you're bidden, go sit down in the lowest room that he that bade you when he comes that he may say unto you, friend, go up higher. Then you shall have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Uh, for whoever exalts himself shall be abased. You might think you're something pretty fancy right now. And you might have other people convinced that you are somebody special that you're somebody of importance because of your status or your wealth or your whatever you are. But you're not impressing God at all. <laughs> you're not impressing God. Who do you think that you are before an almighty and righteous and holy God? Look at these Pharisees in the Scripture that Jesus is talking to that would think themselves to be so high above the rest of their peers that they would be the very embodiment of God himself, like a pope running around believing himself to be the voice of Jesus on this earth as being his vicar and in the place of Jesus and making all of these decrees and all of these things that even against the very word of God itself that he, that he would say would be okay or that he would approve of in this world just to make the world happy with him so he could have people return to his religion so he could have authority over them. And the whole time he's ignored Jesus, the very teachings of Jesus. The whole time he's ignored the word of God and the very reality of the authority of God because he's decided that he is. And that's it. Just like these Pharisees. And don't you understand that if you exalt yourself before man, you're going to fall? Praise God, all of these people are going to fall. And the more this, this government exalts man, and the more that man exalts himself in the government, what do you think is going to happen to it? But it's going to consume itself and it's going to fall. Because those who know better are scared of those 
who who are in charge, I guess. I don't know what the deal is, but it, if it doesn't correct itself, and we who have eyes to see and ears to hear don't correct it, it will fall. Of course, I suppose that's a necessity that's going to come down to pass anyways in the future because it's understood that the Antichrist is going to reign. It's understood that that these things are going to come to pass. Just understood that the wickedness of, of, of Satan will rule and reign for seven years is already established in Revelation, so why am I complaining? I suppose that the reality behind my complaint would be the fact that that just like you, I've got I've got skin in this game. I've got children in this world. I've got grandchildren in this world now. Very well, one day may have great grandchildren in this world. And and until Jesus comes back, why would I surrender one more ounce of breath, allowing that devil to have his due, when we could stand up in the seventy plus million of true believers inside this nation rising together? could put down that old devil while we still have breath. But if we don't come together, it won't happen. Imagine that. He said anybody that would humble themselves would be exalted. What a teaching. Drop down to verse number 12, and the scripture goes forward to say, Then he said to him that, that bade him, he's talking to that chief Pharisee at this point says house that he was bidden to. He said, and when you make a dinner or a supper, don't call all these people your friends. Don't call your brethren. Don't call your kinsmen or rich neighbors. Don't call these people. Because it's the same teaching that Jesus gave on the Sermon of the Mount. What what thanks do you get? What good is it for you to, to, to constantly be a blessing to those you know are going to be a blessing back to you? Or or to extend a courtesy only for the expectation of a courtesy to be rendered back to you, and that you would not lift a finger to consider any of the poor around you or any of the the lowly around you because you know that they couldn't possibly return any blessings that you pour out on them. And I think that happens a lot when we, when we call for missions and we call for help for a missionary and, and we see that week after week that, that people don't give. I think inside of Morgan's, there's maybe two or three people entirely that when they hear a need from a missionary are willing to open up their coffers to give, uh, and God bless you guys. There's no question about it because certainly that is a heart that is lowly before God acknowledging that all of the possessions that I have are simply a gift of God to be rendered to those that may have need. And so when, when missionaries do have a need and, and, and the word comes out, but the multitude of congregations say, I ain't giving. I don't know if, I, if my money would even make it there. Well, I ain't giving. I, we, until we do for our children in the United States, praise God, we ought not to give anything to anybody else around the world. We got to take care of iron first before we take care of anybody else. You morons. You morons. Because the very fact that we still have needs to be taken care of is the very fact that the, the, very, the very blessings that you could give to this nation, you won't even give to your own people. 
You complaining about how we have all of these issues happening in the United States and how we shouldn't have all of these other peoples coming into this nation when we don't even take care of our own people, but then you turn around and you don't even give one dime to take care of your own people. Hypocrite. It's exactly the issue Jesus is dealing with these Pharisees. The same thing. Hypocrites. I reckon we're guilty, huh? I reckon we're guilty. And he said, uh, when, you, when you make a dinner, you make a supper for these guys. Don't call the people that you know are going to be a blessing to you, and sometimes so that you could bribe them, sometimes so that you could have some power over them and expect favors back from them, all of that. He says, when you make a feast, call the poor. You know, when you make a feast, call them the maimed, the ones that can't do for themselves. Call the lame, call the blind. Oh, Jesus, what a world is Jesus thinking? Oh, by the way, it's the blind that Jesus healed. It's the deaf that Jesus gave back their hearing. It's, it's the mute that Jesus gave back the power to speak. It's the, it's the lame that Jesus calls to rise. It's all of these things. He fed those that couldn't feed themselves, Jesus did. Why aren't the Pharisees? Why aren't the scribes? Why aren't the wealthy? I reckon it's because they're too busy trying to build more wealth, build more status, build more connections that'll benefit them in the future instead of being the future benefit of all those who have need. He said, huh, you'll be blessed if you call the lame, the maimed, the poor, the blind. You'll be blessed for they can't repay you. You, he said, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, you relinquish your gold and silver and precious stones for the benefit of God's kingdom on this earth. And what do you amass but gold, silver, and precious stones in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and where thieves can't break through and steal? But money's just as easy to burn as wood, hay, and stubble when it's not being used for the glory of the kingdom, for the glory of God. And when you burn through all that cash and all that money, and you end up in heaven where you could have been a blessing and you weren't, the end result of all of that comes down to, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I didn't know you. Say, Pastor, that's rough. That, that's mean. No, I'm, I'm just telling you about gentle Jesus. Remember, I started off talking about how he was going to tell some parables. This ain't Jason. I don't even like half of this stuff <laughs> because it applies to me just as well as it applies to you, and it's painful rather, rather you or me. It's painful to realize. There's plenty of other things that we would like to do with our lives. There's plenty of other directions we would like to go. Praise God, there's plenty of other ways to, to, to be able to live and, 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 and all of these things that we would want to do. But you know what? It ain't about us. It ain't about our wants, our wishes, our will. We're children of God in the kingdom of God with a king who is righteous and holy and has expectation of his children's service. And we are here to serve and to be of service. And so we find that, that he comes down 
And he says in verse number 15, uh, and w- when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said to, to Jesus, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. Now, again, please remember that these people are Pharisees. They do not understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God as Jesus taught his disciples. They are thinking about the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about the situation of the future time that is happening in Revelation chapter number 20 when everybody is looking forward to the return of Messiah, which they are not acknowledging Jesus to be, that the coming of the Messiah and the reality of the the worldwide kingdom being surrendered from, at this point, the people believe Rome unto the predecessor of David. And so he says, blessed is he that eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes right back at him. Let me tell you about a, let me tell you about a, a certain man. Oh, praise God. Here we are again. <laughs> a certain man. Do you think that Jesus knows this fella? Uh, I'd say it's pretty good chance he does. He says, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they, all with one consent, began to make excuse. Guys, it's a free meal. (laughs) At the minimum, it's a free meal. What in the world is wrong with these people? Oh, wait a minute. I I might have an answer to that. It said that they, in verse 18, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground and I need to go and see it. Whatever. The the say he said, have me excused. And and another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I gotta prove them. I gotta test them, make sure they're good. Have me excused. And the third guy's a moron. <laughs> I just gotta say. The third guy said, I married a wife. I can't come. <laughs> moron. That's all it is. I got something about that one, by the way. And and, and he says, so that that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, bring in the maimed, bring in the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you commanded, but there's still room. And, And the Lord said, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled For I say to you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Ouch. I can't get into it now because my time is waning. But I got to tell you guys that um, Jesus without question knows this certain man. Period. And, and, And this certain man is not one to be messed with. At all, because as the master of the feast, um, he has control of the rules of who will come in to his palace. 
to his kingdom. And so don't think for a second that you have the ability to make a decision as to if you're going to invite yourself to this master's house or that you would make the stipulations to which you would be able to come to this master's house because the invitation's already been given, the stipulation's already set, the call's already gone out. If you do not answer the call of this certain man, you will not come in. It's that simple. And I'm here to tell you, that all the excuses that you might be able to offer up to this certain man are going to come flat on their face when it is time for that man to close the door. You've got one chance to answer the call of invitation to come into the banquet hall, and you better take it. But I digress to the point that uh, if I go any further, I'm going to let too much of of the cat out of the bag. So uh, this coming Monday will be the the details of the parable of the Great Supper. Don't want to miss it, guys. Definitely want to catch it. Going to be live and insane on Sunday, this coming Sunday. You'll definitely want to tune in to the Morgan's page this coming Sunday. And I just want to tell you that this next Friday, we will not be gathering together, okay? So the next Friday will be 19 March. There will be no class on the 19th of March because I'm going to snatch my wife away for a weekend uh, to, to be a blessing to her for her birthday. So we're not going to be having a class on Friday, but we will. You're still going to get this 4 o'clock hour on Friday, my promise to you. And uh, definitely just make sure you tune in this coming Sunday at 11 a.m. And and I'll give you more details about next weekend the closer we get to it. So, Father, we're grateful for everything that you've done for us, what you've done in us, with us. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus this day, for the joy of recognizing that our position is subject to the crown of Christ and that the greatest of among us have become the servants of all and that the least among us are to be elevated. And Lord, we just pray that you will give us wisdom to know how to interact with each other based on what Jesus has taught us so that we can truly, in Jesus' will, love one another even as Christ has loved us. Bless us and we'll give you praise this day and through this weekend until we gather together on Sunday to give you praise and glory and shout a hallelujah in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you. Keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you, and I will catch you Sunday at 11 a.m. So God bless you. Have a great Shabbat. Take care.